Well, good morning again, everyone. As you can tell by that uh, beautiful little video and uh, the program that you have, which I encourage you to take out now, there'll be uh, an opportunity to take notes through that. And if you've been with us the last two weeks, you know that our focal point here for the next two months is uh, on building authentic biblical community. And we are in our third week of a two-month study on what the Bible has to teach us about building and sustaining a community in our church that reflects the nature of Jesus. And by building that community here, we fully expect that the, fully, the community outside of here will be impacted by what we do inside these walls. And so two weeks ago, if you weren't with us, we established why we need community. And it really boils down to this. In our daily lives here on earth, we need God and we need each other in this world and in our faith walks. So we established why we need community. And last week, we looked deeply into scripture to see that we need community to serve together. And we talked about the impact that the community at large will have when we see ourselves as being a missional-oriented church, working together to serve others, to serve the world around us. And today, we're going to look and we're going to talk about how community helps us grow together. So we're in a new purpose for community today. Last week we established that we use community to serve together. Today we're gonna to talk fully about how we use community to grow together. And so I wanna start with our foundational verse. This is the verse that's knitting this whole series together. And it comes out of Romans 12:5. I think we should commit every verse from the Bible to memory, but as we especially highlight ones as we go, this is one we just need to have ingrained in our hearts and ingrained in our minds. When Paul writes, So in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. I just think that's a beautiful image of community. It's that we all belong together. We all belong at the same place at the foot of the cross. We belong there, and we belong there together. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, we read the encouragement to encourage each other and build each other up. And so we're going to start working from these foundational verses today as we get into how the Bible teaches us to grow together. And I guess the end game, if you will, when we are intentional about living in authentic biblical community, is that together, and that's a key word that we keep hammering over and over again, together, with the presence of the Holy Spirit, we get closer to reflecting the image of Christ. We help each other get there. And this just isn't in our actions, but it's in the continual transformation of our hearts. That's what happens when we're growing together. We see transforming lives over and over again. And so there are three ways, I believe, that we grow together. And we're going to look at each one of them very closely here this morning. The first one is, we grow together by affirming each other's worth. This is a big one. It's foundational. We grow together by affirming each other's worth. I want to share three verses with you out of the book of Romans. Um, this is one of my absolute favorite two chapters of the Bible. Um, when Paul is writing. One is chapter 12 and the other is chapter 15. We're going to pull some individual verses from each one of them. In Romans 12.10, Paul writes, Be devoted to one another in love. 
honor one another above yourselves. Think of all the relationships that we encounter on a daily basis and think about how impactful just living out that verse would be. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Then in Romans 15, we're going to look at verse 5 and verse 7. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Jesus Christ had. Look upon each other the way that Jesus looks upon us. It's beautiful. And then accept one another in Romans 15, 7. Accept one another just as Christ accepted you. Here's a little secret if you haven't figured this out yet in life. You probably see it almost every day. Everybody is looking for affirmation. Do you think that's true? Everybody is seeking, they're thirsting for, they're hungry for affirmation. And people will do almost anything to get it. I remember when I was first teaching 20 years ago, and my boss was Gary Schrage. And Gary always had this advice for teachers. For every discipline referral, for every bad news note that's going home from you, make sure you're sending two good news notes home. Always counter, when, when, when there's discipline, always counter it with something to praise. And I, that always stayed with me. And it really hit me one time when I think I had, a, I had a boy who was in eighth grade. I sent him a nice little good news note. He had prepared for a test. He studied hard. He did well. I sent that home. Didn't think anything of it. Just something we did every week. Four years later, I'm at his graduation reception. And you're flipping through some of their memories and some of the things that they have from high school. And guess what was sitting in one of his folders? Any little good news note that came home. People hold on to that, don't we? Those things are important. When you and I affirm people, we're doing some incredible things in this world. We're showing love. We're ministering the way Jesus ministered. He affirmed people as he ministered every single day. His love for people and his ultimate atoning death on the cross for us and for our sins made the difference in the world. It was the moment when the world changed. When we love others, we're doing Christ's work on this earth. We're representing God. And if you haven't figured this out yet, God is an incredibly affirming and loving Father. And we're showing the world a little bit about what God is like every time we speak out, every time we step out, every time we act out in love. And so here's the big question for this point. How? How, how do we do this? How do we make the choice to affirm people in our everyday lives? And I think there are several ways that we can do this. Number one, we affirm people by showing them acceptance. Romans 15, 7 says, accept one another just as Christ accepted you. I want to dwell on that for a moment. This was a topic of conversation a little bit this morning in Sunday school class. Acceptance, affirmation. It's easy to act, isn't it, like we're better than people sometimes. And I think there are a couple of realities in our world that make that easy for us to do. One is, I believe, more and more we're living in sort of a put-down kind of world, aren't we? It's just easy to put people down. It's easy to look down on people. And, pe and people tend to do that to each other. And there's a great phrase, you're probably all familiar with it, hurting people hurt people. <laughs> and so, especially when we're having a bad day, it's sometimes it's easier to drag other people down with us. It makes us feel better. 
We want to bring them to the level that we're feeling. And so we look down on people or we put them down. And that's the kind of feeling that gets created when we're all sort of going through the tough things that we do. And the other thing I I see that happens a lot is our culture teaches us to compare everything. We're always rating everything. And it's really easy when we do that to fall into a trap of sort of ordering ourselves along those ranks, isn't it? Maybe it's our income level. Maybe it's how we view the accomplishments we have in our lives. Maybe it's our appearance or our talents or maybe it's how we perceive our own righteousness. Maybe it's how we compare our kids or our grandkids. You ever do that? Well, you know, so-and-so down the street, my, my kid would never. We do that, don't we? And we do that to each other, and it's a dangerous game that we play. Because what happens is we begin to define our worth not by who Christ made us, but we define our worth by whatever ranks we determine. And we create our own social networks around whatever things we choose to be important. And so around those ranks, we have sort of those who are in and maybe those who are out. You know how that works? You see that in your own environments, your own worlds? Sometimes it starts on the playground, doesn't it? It starts on the playground, and if we're not really aware of what's going on in the playground, that can grow and grow and grow, and then it turns into middle school. Oh, my goodness, middle school, right? And then middle school turns into high school, and pretty soon you're in the adult world, and sometimes we see adults acting just like the very kids we're trying to prevent doing this on the playground. This happens, and the source of it is it's pride, It's rank ordering ourselves instead of realizing that every one of us comes to the same place at the foot of the cross. God made and created each one of us, and we are called to give each other the affirmation that the very God who created us does. You see, Jesus teaches us a different way to live. And it's Paul who wrote about this when he says, accept one another just as Christ accepted you. Now, there's a second fact, I think, that sometimes keeps us from accepting people, and that is our tendency that we all have, and and I have it, I think every one of us does, we all fight it, it's the tendency to take our strengths and project them on other people and notice how other people don't quite measure up to our standards. give you an example. I know people at different events who show up 15 minutes early for everything, which is a great trait to have. Except when they show up early, then they sit and judge everyone who starts trickling in a little bit later and a little bit later because they're more superior because I show up on time. Or maybe they keep a very tidy house and someone they know down the street doesn't and so they feel better about themselves because their house looks better inside than somebody else. You know anybody like this? (laughs) Do you fight this tendency inside yourself? We run into these problems when we start to see others trying to be made in our image instead of realizing that we're all made in the image of God. A good friend of ours is a marriage counselor up in the Twin Cities, runs a Christian-based, faith-based marriage counseling service, and he said the number one biggest obstacle in struggling marriages is when one spouse wants to mold the other spouse into their own image. Well, if only he would, and if only he would, or only she would, and if only she would... And what his goal is, is to help them understand that they're uniquely different, and God can use those differences and bring them together. He has to first help them understand that we're first made and only made in the image of God. But it causes tension, doesn't it, when we do this to each other? So let me tell you, and let me encourage you to find a better way to feel better about yourselves. Instead of doing this by putting other people down or looking down on others, One of the greatest ways to feel better about who you are is to lift other people up. It's biblically mandated. 
Lift other people up. It will give you an amazing thrill. Focus on that. And when there is confrontation, because that's not to say that everyone just walks around with a happy, smiley face all the time like we never have conflict, but when there is conflict, and we talked about this last spring in one of our messages, the Bible teaches us that when there's conflict among believers, if need be, take another person with you, but for sure go to that person with the idea of resolving the conflict and restoring the relationship. My wife is a master at this because I'm not one of those tidy people, and she is. And so when I leave my socks in a heap or when I leave clothes on the floor, I'm not put down by it. She simply says, hey, Jeff, could you remember to do this? And then she gives me something to affirm me. All right. Now, that's very much pressure on her because I do this all the time. But the fact is I learn a lot from Beth about how to resolve conflict in a way that addresses the issue. You have to address issues sometimes but she's always concerned about making sure that before the day ends, the relationship is intact, no matter what the struggle is. So that's how we begin. We begin with that affirmation. We begin with the acceptance that we're called to give people. The Bible says in Romans 14.10, why do you look down on another Christian? Remember each of us. Now listen to this. Remember each of us will stand personally before the judgment seat of God. Every one of us. The point of this verse is, who am I, Jeff Thielander? Who are we to look down on other believers? God made us. He's our father. He's our creator. And one day, Scripture tells us we're going to stand before him. And in the meantime, we need to spend our earthly lives building and lifting each other up rather than putting each other down. The truth of the matter is God lifts us up. God affirms us. So who are we to put down those around us? And if the issues arise where there is conflict, we resolve them and we restore the relationship. We do this every time. Here's how I don't resolve conflicts and issues. I don't do so by complaining about it to others before I go to that person. I don't veil prayer requests in a way that makes me sound like I'm putting somebody else down. I confront and I let the power of God heal whatever needs to be healed. You see, it's not God who puts this in us to put others down. The Bible teaches us that it is not God who accuses. The accuser is Satan. So when I spend all my time putting other people down, I'm actually doing Satan's work for him. And I got to imagine he's smiling at that and he's enjoying it. So we have to take this seriously. We have to take seriously the practice of daily affirming and accepting and caring about everyone around us, starting with our own body of believers. I want to now go to 1 Corinthians 12, 6 as we begin to kind of wrap this up because this is so important. We talk about the differences that we sometimes have, the differences in views, the differences in just attitudes and different perspectives. 1 Corinthians 12, 6 says, God works through different people in different ways. And you know, I'm really glad he does. I'm really thrilled that he can take our differences and he can meld them into something big and powerful because our differences sometimes can help us grow together. Last night we were going out for supper and there was a kind of a big ball game down in Lincoln last night. Um, and for anyone who's a Nebraska fan, you know there's a little history between Miami and Nebraska. And so I was explaining to um, John and Marlene and Beth, you know, we had to get back for the game and uh, they're playing Miami, I said. It's Nebraska versus Miami. And Beth says, I have absolutely no idea who that is. None. 
And this was sort of like the first time I took her to a Hawkeye game at Kinnick Stadium. And the first thing she says to me when we roll into Iowa City is we went right by the Coral View Mall. She says, do you stay for the whole game when you come to these things? <laughs> and I said, well, ideally we get there two hours early and we leave two hours after the game. But, but that's a difference. But I, I can also turn around and say that Beth's background in the fine arts, especially in singing and music, something I have no talent at all, has given me an appreciation for music and for a variety of music. And the things we do together now are so much more varied because we have these differences. It actually makes us both better people because we can share uncommon interests. How well do you do at accepting someone else's difference, differences? I think we need to stop insisting that everyone must be just like us. Everybody has gifts. Everybody has talents. And the truth of the matter is, the world would be a very boring place if everyone was just like you. And it would be a very scary place if everyone probably was just like me. All right? We have differences. So God has made all of us in different ways to do all kinds of different things so that everything can get done in this world. And you see, the goal of a community, the goal of a family, the goal of any group is not to mold people into our image God's okay with us being all different. He created us. The goal is to help people recognize and affirm their uniqueness so that they can use those unique skills and traits to further the kingdom. That's what happens in community. It was Albert Einstein who once said that if everybody, he said, he said everybody is a genius, but he says if you judged a fish by its ability to climb a tree, that fish would spend the rest of its life thinking it was stupid. You get that? If we define someone by who we think they should be and they don't fit that mold, if they're not affirmed with who they are and what they're capable of, they're going to spend their whole life doubting themselves. And one of the most important things we do in biblical community is we unleash the unique gifts that God gives every single person in this room. You're never going to want me to stand here and try to play a guitar and lead worship, okay? There are certain things that I can't do, and I'm okay with that, and God's okay with that. But I can promise you this. Every single person sitting in this room has unique talents, unique gifts that can help the kingdom. And part of our goal in community is to encourage and inspire and help every single person find the fulfillment of unleashing those gifts and those talents. I don't know when the last time you looked at somebody and said, I noticed that you're not very good at this, or you could do this a little better or this. But what I would ask you to do is this. Look at somebody the next time and say, hey, I really noticed that you're good at this. I really noticed that you have a gift for encouragement. I really noticed that when we're done with a great big event here at church, you're one of the people who's always helping fold the chairs. You're just quietly serving. You're quietly doing. I noticed that you're in the kitchen <laughs> preparing food. I know that you're the last one who's washing the dishes. Every single person has a contribution to give. And we need to be very aware of those around us to be able to give them that kind of affirmation. So we do this by giving affirmation, by, by, by accepting. And another thing we do is we do it by showing attention. Not just acceptance, but attention. Here's the difference. I can acknowledge somebody but maybe I'm not giving them my full attention. The Bible says in Galatians 6.10, give special attention, and this is a key word here, special attention to those who are in the family of believers. 
It's one of the benefits of being in the family of God. It's one of those benefits of being a part of a church is that you get special attention from each other and from God. And here's the general, general principle of this. Whatever you pay attention to is going to grow. We have this huge produce section out here in our church that has been a huge blessing to so many people. People who are tending to their gardens, people who are paying attention to the growth in those gardens are seeing those gardens grow. They're seeing production from them. When I give attention to my kids, they grow. When we give attention to our marriage, it grows. If you pay attention to the people around you at work, they are growing to grow. The greatest gift that you can give anyone is focused attention. You can affirm people just by looking them in the eye, by making that eye contact with them that just makes them feel like you notice. I had a very good friend who spoke to me in love one day, a guy I've worked with for a lot of years, gave me a call on the phone. He really needed to speak to me, really needed to help something. And the first thing he says is, now I don't want you to pull a felander on me. I said, okay, what's that supposed to mean? He goes, you know, when we sit and talk on the phone and I can hear you typing, um, don't do this to me. Don't do this to me this time because this is very important. It really had to make me catch myself and say, how often do I do, I do that to people? It's, I, I'm confessing something here. I have to work on that. People notice when you're not fully there, don't they? You can give them attention, but what you really have to do is give them special, focused attention. God pays attention to you, and God pays attention to me. He says that even the hairs on our heads are numbered, and he knows them. And Jesus said the essence of relationships is not only what we do for each other, the essence of relationships is how much of ourselves we give to each other. That's focused attention. And so my encouragement for all of you this week is to take a look at your relationships as they exist. Take a look at your marriages. Take a look at your dating relationships, if that applies. Take a look at your relationships with your kids and simply ask yourselves this, what do they want most from me? And my answer would be the most they want from you is all of you. They want you. They want your time, they want your attention, and they want your focus. And here's the deal, God wants you too. He wants your attention, and he wants your first fruits. He wants your talents, and he calls us to give our attention to him and to give our attention to each other. So let me ask you this. Here's a challenge question in this section for you. Who do you tend to overlook on a day-to-day -day basis? Sometimes it's the people closest to you. But who are the people in your life? Who are the people in your neighborhood? Who are the people at your workplace that sometimes you simply don't notice? You don't pay attention. Your mind's moving 100 miles an hour, and simply you're overlooking people, and sometimes you don't even realize you're doing it. And sometimes you need that friend to give you that wake-up call saying, give me your eyes. Give me your attention. So here's what I want us to do this week. I want you to look for opportunities to show attention to the people in your life. And I mean really pay attention to them. It's the greatest gift of love you can give. So make opportunities to show it. Finally, the last one in this point, and this is so critical, and I think this is such a pulse or a heartbeat of any culture, of, of any group of people that gather in any type of environment. One other thing that happens when we are affirming each other's worth is that we are showing appreciation. 
We affirm each other's worth with appreciation. Now, for those of you who follow land prices in Monona and Woodbury County over the last 10 years, you know what appreciating land values look like, don't you? Appreciation simply means it goes up in value. Likewise, when I buy a car, if I drive it off the lot, the minute I do it begins to depreciate. It loses value. So here's the challenge. Every time you appreciate somebody, you raise their value to you and you raise their value to others. When you appreciate your wife, you raise her value. When you appreciate your husband, you raise his value. When you appreciate your kids, your loved ones, those, are, those in your neighborhood, you add value. And here's a key lesson here. Everything you appreciate increases in value every single time. The Bible says, brothers and sisters, appreciate those who work hard among you, who led you in the Lord and teach you. So let's start with that. Today, when this service is over, before you leave, I'm going to encourage everybody, because we're growing together. This is the whole point of this message. This is the whole point of this series. We're growing together. We're talking about affirming each other. Find one person who you appreciate here today. Maybe it's the Sunday school teacher who has spent hours preparing for a lesson that was discussed in Sunday school today. Maybe it was someone we know who works in the kitchen, preparing food when we have a funeral or another special event. Maybe it's the people we just notice who are cleaning up after special events that happen in church. Maybe it's the people who played the music. Maybe it's the person who greeted you at the door. Think about every single person who contributes to the daily workings of what goes on in this church. Do we stop and take the time to simply say thank you, to appreciate them? You see, I think these are all signs of maturity in us, both spiritually and just simply as human beings. When we take the time to pay attention, when we take the time to affirm and appreciate, I think that's a sign of a deep maturity. And maturity is more than just head knowledge. A person can have all kinds of biblical knowledge in their head, but if they're not putting it into action, if they're not active with it, if they're not doing what we do that is purposes of God, and that is worshiping and growing and evangelizing and ministering, then we're missing the boat. This is such an important building block. We must practice affirming each other. I want to get to the next point here, and this is a big one, admitting our own mistakes. That's number two. This is another way that we grow together. We confess our sins, we admit our mistakes. Therefore, James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So how do you respond when someone just comes to you and says, I'm sorry? It's been amazing to me how many different opportunities God has opened up in the last several months since we've been back and part of this community. And this one almost takes the cake. And I want to just share it with you very briefly here. 25 years ago, okay, wow, it's getting harder and harder to say, but 25 years ago, I was a senior in high school. We had a pretty good basketball team, but the season kind of ended on a down note. Um, we got beat when we weren't supposed to get beat, and we did a lot of head scratching after that. How did this just happen? And if you were to do a little autopsy on that whole season, you would have gone back and found that we weren't very disciplined, we didn't always take things very seriously, and it caught up to us. And so there was always this little bit of feeling that, you know, kind of who's responsible and who was involved in this and that. And so out of the blue, 
One day I'm home, um, late in the afternoon, I get a knock on the door. And I open the door, and there was Steve Klein standing in the doorway. And Steve was our high school basketball coach. And he moved away from Whiting about a week after the school year ended. And we hadn't seen him for 25 years. <laughs> hadn't seen him for 25 years. And so there's Steve at our door. I welcome him in. We sat and talked for three and a half hours. And here's what Steve finally said to me. He goes, you know, Jeff... And I get emotional when I say this, but he said, you know, Jeff, I, I didn't know the Lord when I was here at Whiting. It came right out of his mouth. He goes, I didn't know the Lord. I was very immature. I didn't know how to handle you guys, and I let you run a lot freer than I should have. I didn't give you the discipline that I should have. And part of it was because I didn't have the own discipline in my own life. He goes, Several years after I left Whitey, he goes, I got married. My wife was a Christian. She introduced me to Christ. And now I come to learn he's a real active member at his church back home in Kyoto, Iowa. But he looked me in the eye and he said, Jeff, I'm just really sorry because I could have been a better coach to you guys. I could have been a better, better role model to you. I could have been a better teacher. I could have been a better coach. And I wish I would have known then what I know now. Now you tell me how hard it would be to be angry with him at that point. I just looked at him and I said, Steve, we all owned what we owned then. And we've all grown and we've all learned from it. But I do accept your apology, even though you don't have to. But there is power when someone admits mistakes to each other. By admitting our mistakes, we build community. We build intimacy. We build relationships faster than any other way. Ephesians 4.25 says, tell each other the truth because we all belong to each other. Tell the truth about yourself. And this is my encouragement. When you talk about the truth about yourself, that includes your fears. That includes your doubts. That includes your hang-ups. Because confessing things isn't just about some confession of deep, dark sins. Sometimes confession just looks like this. It's admitting that something's not going right in my life. It's admitting that I might have a doubt today. It's admitting that I maybe don't have it all together every single day, and I need to share that with somebody. Those are confessions, and we are called by the Bible to do that in community with each other. When you are honest about what's going on in your life, your life, and you're not blaming other people for it, you're just being honest about what's going on, it draws you closer to those closest to you. And that's hard to do. It's hard to be vulnerable. It's hard to give ourselves in that way. But when we do, we reap the benefits. Emotional healing comes from being honest with other people about what's going on in our lives. Look at James 5.16, if we have that for, for the screen here. I know it's in your notes. Admit your faults to one another. I just want you to circle that. It doesn't mean just come admit your faults to Jeff. I'll be happy to help anybody who wants to walk through anything. But it doesn't just mean come admit your faults to a minister. It means admit your faults to each other. Admit them to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And this is extremely important. I want to promise you this. You can go to God with anything, Scripture teaches us, and you can be forgiven. But how many of you have ever gone to God with something for forgiveness and there's still this lingering effect? You're, you, you know God forgave you, but there's just this lingering doubt or this lingering guilt about the choice that you made. You know what that means? That means that there's also an opportunity for some emotional healing. And emotional healing comes when we're honest with each other as well. 
Sometimes just telling a friend about what you've confessed to God helps that process and helps that healing. Because if that friend loves you, (laughs) that friend is going to direct you and say, God has forgiven you. You've got to let it go. And sometimes just having that interaction with somebody else helps get us to that point. It gives us that fresh start. Proverbs 28.13 says, the, Proverbs 28.13 says, Anyone who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. But if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance. I sure love that because <laughs> I need chances. I need lots of them because I make mistakes. And I serve a God who's big enough and great enough and strong enough to forgive my sins. And I come back to him again, and he forgives my sins. One of the most helpful things you can do if you're in a small group, a life group, one of the most helpful things you can do in your families, one of the most helpful things you can do in your, in your closest circle of friends is to be willing to admit and to confess your sins to each other. That's where the healing, along with the power of the Holy Spirit, that's just an extra card of healing that can begin. The whole image of seven times 70 just stays with me. God never gives up on us. And you need to know that no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, God never gives up on you. Never, never, never. And here's the really best news of the good news. He's not finished with any of us yet. He wants to use other people And he wants to use us. And he wants to take the pain and the struggle and the difficulties of our lives. And he wants to turn those into ways to influence others. Now that's a big God who can do that. That is the fellowship that comes when we commit to confessing our sins to others. 1 John 1.7 says, If we live in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. We have fellowship. So item number two, point number two, be ready and willing, be open and honest, be vulnerable to confess your sins to each other. We're called to do so. We serve a God who can take our greatest needs, our greatest mistakes, our biggest confessions, and he can actually turn them for good. He can turn them for influence if we turn it over to him. And that's powerful. Finally, number three, we encourage each other's growth. And this is a very quick point. I don't want to use the word quick point, but it's a point I just want to walk you through five things here if we can put these up. Timothy 4, 7 says, train yourself to be godly. And in Romans 1, 11 to 12, we read, I long to see you so that I may impart you to some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. As you begin to develop your life groups, as we begin to develop the life and the culture and the community of this church, I want us to remember these five points, and I think I've got them in your notes, and here's what I want to share with you. Number one, we gather in community. We serve to grow each other, number one, by committing to follow Jesus Christ. That's the center and heart of it. Number two, we commit to encourage other believers. That's what this whole message was about this morning. We do this with encouragement. Encouragement of each other as we walk together through this life. Number three, we commit to study deeply in God's word. Every single gathering, we study deeply in God's word. Number four, we are committing ourselves in this message, or in this series, and committing ourselves in the future to partnering together to minister to a world who needs Jesus. And finally, number five, we're committed 
to sharing the good news. That's why we exist. That's why we do what we do. And this happens, and I want to give you this last challenge before we close today. This happens to the extent that not only do we live it here in community, but that each one of us is going out and living it out there in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, to the people who don't know Jesus yet. They need to see us being people who encourage. They need to see us as people who are affirming them. They need to see us as people who are accepting and loving and willing to give. To the extent that we do it out there has to do with the extent of how it grows in here. And so I want to leave you with these questions. Number one, am I an affirming person? Am I an affirming person? Do I affirm others? Number two, am I humble enough to admit when I make mistakes? Am I vulnerable enough to seem real to people? Because here's the deal. The more vulnerable we are, the more real we are. And the more real we are, the better we understand each other. None of us have it completely all together. By being vulnerable and admitting that simply opens doors for us to grow in our relationships with each other. So we don't have to fake anything. Let's be honest and real about confessing the needs in our lives. And finally, number three, am I using my life to point people to Christ? by what I say, by what I do, by the example that I live. You know, I want to share with you one final thought as we head into this week. Um, I, I spent a little extra, extra time this morning in prayer. Um, these next 72 hours are going to be a real emotional roller coaster, uh, and I just want to share with you why, and I think there's a great teaching that's going to come out of it. Um, this afternoon, I'm going to have a, a, a meal with a family of a doctor who graduated from Watton Bronson 20 years ago. He was actually a student of mine all those years ago. And he was a really renowned research scientist at the University of Minnesota. And he was working on different ways um, to find cures for pediatric cancer. And ironically enough, when he was 35, he was diagnosed with cancer himself. And he passed away two years ago. And so he left a wife and two little kids, and those are just one of those things that just, just break your heart. And so his family, to honor him every year, gathers students from this area, and they bring in a, a respected scientist, and they talk about the future of science and how kids have this future. It's really kind of a cool deal. But in the midst of that is the pain of a family who lost a 35-year-old son. That's hard. And I know what's coming Wednesday because... Raleigh touched a lot of us here. Anyone who knew him knew the heart this guy had, the hugs that he would give. And to take a phone call and just realize this happened, it just kind of crushes you, doesn't it? And here's, here's what I want to share with you about both of these. As, as I look at these next three days ahead, one thing I'm learning in doing ministry, um, in doing it, where you're just really at the boots level of working with people and, and, and loving them where they're at and being, them, being with them when there's a time of need. The only certainty that we have about our life is that there is uncertainty when we're going to take our last breath on it. That's just a fact. The only certainty about our life is that we're always going to be uncertain about when our last breath is going to happen. But here's the thing. When that last breath happens, there's only two things that matter. Number one is what we did with Jesus. And number two, what we did with our relationships. 
And that's the message that I want to give you this morning. We're, we're investing in community because at the end of the day, our relationship with Jesus, our growing toward him together, and the relationships that we build on this earth, that's what it's all about. That's what this life on this earth is all about. And that's why we commit daily to growing together and building this community here. Would you join me in prayer? Father, God, we are just so blessed to know that, um, that thanks to Jesus, there's eternal life for us when we accept and when we follow. And Father, I just I thank you for just that assurance. I thank you for that truth. And Father, today there are maybe people here who don't know you yet. And I pray that you can continue to work inside their heart, work inside their soul, Father, because we, we, we want everyone to know you. We want everyone to have that eternal salvation, that assurance that eternity with you awaits. And Father, in the meantime, we know that every single day we go through this life, there are challenges, there are relationship uh, issues that we come across. Maybe it's in our family, maybe it's in our, our home, maybe it's in our neighborhood, or maybe it's at, at work. Father, help us be the lead here. Help guide us to be the people who are going into those places in our own homes and in our community with the gifts of encouraging others, affirming others, sharing your good news by every day that we live our lives. We thank you for the amazing opportunities that gives, and we thank you for your many blessings. I ask all of this in Jesus' name, amen.